0: All right. If you got your Bibles, let's go to the book of Revelation. We're going to be in chapter fourteen again tonight, and we should be able to finish it up tonight and um, get into chapter fifteen next week. Revelation chapter fourteen. We're going to begin in verse fourteen before I read it I want to remind you that um, basically what we have here is kind of like an interlude we've been watching the the judgments of God being poured out through this last seven years of tribulation and so here we take a break um, between I think it's between the sixth and the seventh trumpet if I remember right but they they take a break here and Jesus shows John a series of of visions here of ministry that is going to be going on here on the earth while all of these judgments of God are being poured out. And of course, we looked at and we studied the first was the 144,000 Jews that God opens their eyes and He removes the blindness and He, He softens the hardened hearts and, and He brings 144,000 Apostle Pauls, if you will, um, to, to, out of the Jewish nation and they're going to be ministering on the earth during this time. He also has, and, and again, we read about these, um, these three angels that are going to be ministering, and they're going to be preaching an eternal gospel. And we talked about whether or not we should um, interpret that. Um, uh, should we interpret it literally, or should we interpret it as a, a metaphor of some kind? And we determined that Unless the Bible specifically gives us a reason to uh, to determine to interpret it metaphorically, then we should interpret it literally. For instance, we talked about Old Testament prophecy uh, back in Isaiah. Do you remember when the the prophecy was given that said um, uh, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and his name shall be Emmanuel, which means God with us, and He is going to be a wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting... Y'all remember those prophecies? Well, on this side of the prophecy, it's pretty easy to look back and go, well, okay, a virgin really did conceive, right? It really happened. Um, And it really was Emmanuel. Literally, God dwelt with us, right? But back then, looking at it from the front side of things would you have been tempted to maybe interpret that metaphorically? I mean, you would have read that and you would have said, now, wait a minute, Uh, He couldn't be meaning for us to interpret this literally here because can a virgin conceive a child? I mean, come on, in our terms, I'm not talking about what we know, I'm talking about before Christ. Can a virgin conceive a child? No, it don't happen. Uh, Does God truly dwell with men? No, not sinful man. And you remember uh, when, when uh, it was Solomon was going to build the house, and he had built it. He'd built the temple. And then he came and he dedicated and he prayed to God and he said, Behold, God, the heavens and all of the heavens cannot contain you, much less this house that I have built for you. Will you indeed dwell with men on earth? You remember Solomon's thought process there? In other words, Solomon knew that God in all of His holiness could never truly dwell with man in all of his sinfulness, right? And so it it was something that man always understood that whenever we heard the prophecy back then from Isaiah saying that He is going to be God with us, then we would have been tempted to look at a prophecy like that and said, yeah, but that could never happen. But it did. It happened exactly the way He said it would happen. And so again, I believe that a good rule of thumb, and one of the things that we do here on Wednesday nights, y'all remember, I'm teaching you how to study the Bible so that you come to the correct interpretation of it, right? And so one of the rules that I want you to always live by is unless the Bible gives you a specific reason that you should interpret it any other way, symbolically in any way, always look at it as a literal interpretation. So it is very likely that during this tribulation time, there are going to be events and things happening on this earth that people have never seen before, right? We're in chapter 14 and you've seen some of the stuff that has happened in Revelation. And so it shouldn't really surprise us that part of this vision shows us that during this time, there are going to be... Three angels flying overhead all across the world preaching an eternal gospel and this is going to be part of the ministry that is taking place during this time of revelation. And remember, the whole purpose of God doing this is that He is not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. Y'all remember that? And so God is long-suffering. God is gentle. God is kind. But yes, God is going to judge sin. And so during this seven years of tribulation, the point behind all this judgment that He's pouring out on the earth is in the hopes that sinful man will see the error of their way and turn away from the rebellion against God and turn back to Him. But notice with me in, uh, go with me to Revelation chapter 16. Hold your place right there at 14 before we read it. But look at Revelation chapter 16 and start in verse, um, or just look at verse 9. They were scorched by the fierce heat and they cursed the name of God who had power over these plagues. They did not repent and give him glory. You see that? Then go down with me to verse, uh, same chapter, verse 11. And they cursed God of heaven for the pain and their sores, but they did not repent of their deeds. And I could take you to many of the chapters in Revelation and show you the same thing. The point was this. Everything that God did was for a purpose. It is He wants you to see that rebellion against Him only leads to one thing. Great suffering. And so He... He is hoping that people repent, that they will turn from their sins, and that they will give Him glory. And so that is the point behind all of it. But then tonight, we're going to be after um, the first two visions of the ministry that's going on in earth. We get to a last vision of what happens after this ministry takes place. And let me just give you a little bit of a heads up here so that you'll understand. From here on out, there is no longer any chance. Nobody else is going to repent from this point on. And this is the reason why the great harvest takes place. Because at this point, basically, nobody else is going to turn. And that's what you'll read. You just saw me going to Revelation 16. No matter what God does, they cursed Him. They did not repent. They would not give glory to God. All right, And so here we see the great harvest that takes place after... The ministry that God does over all this earth, trying to lead people into repentance. And so tonight, let's start in verse 14 of Revelation 14, and we'll read through verse 20. He says, Then I looked, and behold, in other words, this is a great wonder that he saw, and behold, a white cloud, and seated on the cloud was one like a son of man. He had a golden crown on his head and he had a sharp sickle in his hand. And another man, uh, another angel came out of the temple, calling with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, Put in your sickle and reap, for the hour to reap has come, for the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. And that word fully ripe, when you study it in the Greek, it literally means it is overripe. It's not just ripe, it's past ripe. So in other words, God has allowed this thing to go on to the point that not only has He waited for the harvest to become ripe, but He's waited until it was past ripe. And this just speaks of the long-suffering of God is what it does. But then, go on with me to verse 16. So he who sat on the cloud swung his sickle across the earth, and the earth was reaped. In verse 17 he says, Then another angel came out of the temple in heaven, And he too had a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar, the angel who has authority over the fire. That's important. And he called with a loud voice to the one who had the sharp sickle. And he said, Put in your sickle and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth, for its grapes are ripe. And again, the word here means past ripe. All right, Verse 19... So the angel swung his sickle across the earth and he gathered, he gathered the grape harvest of the earth and he threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden outside the city and blood flowed from the winepress as high as a horse's bridle for 1,600 stadia. And basically, a stadion was 607 feet. So if you do the math on this, you're looking at somewhere around hundred and eighty-four miles, and what he's giving you here is a picture. He's telling you that basically the blood that was um, that came as a result of his wrath, as a result of him treading out the wine press, if you will. That's the image that he gives, and I'm going to show you here in a few minutes that that's the image that God gives many times in the Old Testament when He referred to His coming judgment. Is that it was going to look like? Somebody that's throwed grapes into the wine press and they're being trodden down to the point that it looks like a bloody mess. I, I, I don't know any other way to put it. And the picture of it here is that the blood was as high as a horse's bridle, which we know. You know, the horse stands, what, anywhere from 14 to what, Kirby, 20 hands tall? 16, 18 hands tall. So um about that high, and then for 180-something miles, basically some 200 miles, is basically the picture that He shows us here. And so basically, here's what you've got here. You've got two visions. And when He looks, He sees in the first vision that there is a cloud. And this is important, because do you remember in the Old Testament how God would... um would reveal His glory to people, what would it look like? Anybody remember? What did the children of Israel see when they were being led through the wilderness? What led them? A cloud. Um, what, What happened whenever God's presence would settle down on the tabernacle or on the temple, if you will? It was a cloud. That's right. And so, basically what you have is that everywhere that we read about... And this is another good tip since I'm trying to teach you how to study the Bible... Another good tip would be to stop at a place like this and do a word study. Find find some type of a... Um, I use Bible Hub. And again, that's just my particular... There are many others. There's another app called the Blue Letter Bible. There's another app called um, um, Bible.org, I believe it is. There are several different apps that you could use. But basically what I would do is I would go to... Let's say you're using Bible Hub. And I would pull this verse up. And I would go to the link in the Bible Hub that takes me to the Strong's Concordance. And then I would look at the words in their original Greek and I would find this word cloud. And I would click on this word. And then what that's going to do is it's going to pull up a concordance of all the other places in the Bible where this word is used. And then you can kind of see what kind of context is this word usually used in. And that sometimes can really help you get an understanding of what we're seeing here. So let's go a little bit further and I think you'll get the picture. But in verse 14, he says, Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud. Now the first thing that I want you to see is that we have this cloud and then what's on it? Come on, y'all talk to me tonight. Hmm? The Son of Man or one like a Son of Man. So we've got this cloud, a white cloud, right? And then there is something or someone sitting on this cloud. And on this cloud is someone that looks like a son of man. That's all we know here. The the author does not identify this as anybody yet, just gives us a picture, alright? And so next we get another marker here. He says, and he has a golden crown on his head. And so we have somebody sitting on a cloud that looks like a son of man. And he's sitting here with a golden crown on his head. All right, And then, not only that, but he has a sharp sickle in his hand. Now what did some of y'all historians or maybe the old farmers, I don't know. what, What did you do with a sickle? Somebody tell me what a sickle is. Huh? For harvesting grain. That's exactly right and it would actually take the heads of the grain right off and so that they could harvest the grain. And so basically what we have here is a picture of someone that is getting ready to harvest, right? And this someone is sitting on a cloud, and this someone is like a son of man, and this someone has a golden crown on his head. So let's see if we can identify who this is. So first place, look with me, and this is where I did the word study, okay? Another place that you find this word cloud used is Acts chapter 1, verse 9 through 11. Go with me to the book of Acts. Chapter 1, verse 9 through 11. And basically, this is where Jesus is fixing to ascend from the earth to the right hand of the throne of glory. All right? This is after his resurrection, 40 days after his resurrection, and he ascends to the Father. And so in Acts chapter 9, or in 1, I'm sorry, starting in verse 9, it says, And when he had said these things, Jesus, as they were looking on, his disciples, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as He went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw Him go into heaven. So what does that tell you about the way Jesus is going to come back? That's exactly right. He went up in a cloud. He's coming back. In a cloud, or on a cloud. Look with me if you would at Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26, verse 64. And this is what a word study will lead you to. Because again, uh, the I've taught you this many times, but I want to teach it to you again. What is one rule of thumb with how to interpret Scripture? What can we use to interpret Scripture? Scripture. We use Scripture to interpret Scripture. We don't try to just read it and go, okay, well this is what it means to me. You know why we have so many false interpretations of the Scripture today? Because that's the first question people ask when they read the Scripture. They say, well, what does that mean to me? I don't care what it means to you. The right question is what? What does it mean? What did God mean when He wrote this? And so we can use other Scriptures to interpret Scripture. And so let's see if when we put all the Scriptures together, can we come up with the right interpretation of what we're seeing here. So Matthew 26 verse 64, look what Jesus says here. Jesus said to him, You have said so, but I tell you from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming what? Coming on the clouds of heaven. So again, Jesus has said, just like the angel said when he ascended, that when I come back, I'm coming on the clouds. That's where you're going to see me, and when I come, you're going to see me coming on the clouds. Look with me at Matthew chapter 24, verse 30. This is after Jesus will tell... Actually, let's just start in verse 29 so that you can see that it all lines up with where we're at in Revelation. And again, this is how we're going to know that we have the right interpretation from other teachings in the Scriptures. So in Matthew chapter 24, beginning in verse 29, Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. What's he talking about here? Everything we've been reading in Revelation, right? He's been talking about, matter of fact, I took you through this before, but if you lay Matthew 24 up against Revelation chapter 6 and the trumpets, this is what you have. Literally, this is a key to interpret it. But notice what happens in verse 30. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming... what? On the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And then notice what He does in verse 31, because this is important to make sure we interpret it right as well. And He will send out His angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will do what? They will gather His elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. So... Jesus teaches us that when He comes back, that He is going to come back on the clouds, right? And He's coming back to gather. And it is Him and the angels that do this. And the angels have a part in this, okay? So now go with me to... Um, um, and I'll just read it to you so you don't have to turn to it. But Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. Let me see if I can get there. Only reason I do that, because some of these minor prophets are a little bit more difficult for you to find. May even be difficult for me to find. Here we go. Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 says this. And I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. And He came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before Him. And to Him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve Him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and His kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. But again, the point that I'm trying to make is that no matter where you study clouds at in the Scripture, or not anywhere, because sometimes a cloud literally is talking about what God does with the clouds, but many places in the scripture it talks about the Son of Man Jesus coming back on the clouds. And so we can definitively say that. But just for just for sake of um you seeing it for yourself, look at Matthew chapter 16, verse 27. And I'll stop after I'm gonna do one more and then I, um, after this one. Matthew chapter 16, verse 27. Jesus had been telling them to take up their cross and follow Him, to deny themselves and and to make sure that they give themselves wholly to, to Him and His kingdom. And then in verse 27 He says, For the Son of Man is going to come with His angels in the glory of His Father, and then He will repay each person according to what He has done. And so again, the point being is that when Jesus comes back, He's coming to gather and He is going to repay each one for all that they have done. Now one last one. Go with me to Luke chapter 21. And then we'll try to put all this together. Luke chapter 21, verse 26 through 27. Actually, we'll start in verse 25. Because this is about the coming of the Son of Man. Luke 21, starting in verse 25. <clears throat> and there will be signs in sun and moon and stars, and on the earth distress of nations and perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, people feigning with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world for the powers of the heavens will be shaken, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. So again, now going back to Revelation chapter 14. Let's ask the question, Who is this in verse 14? Let's read it again. Then I looked, and behold, A white cloud, and seated on the cloud, one like a son of man, with a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. So, who would you say, by using Scripture to interpret Scripture, who would you say is this right here? I could pretty well be dogmatic on this and say, This is the Lord Jesus Christ, all right? All right, now let's keep keep going, <clears throat> and and remember when, from all the other scriptures that we studied. Why is he coming? Somebody can some anybody remember any of the things that we read in those other scriptures? Why is he coming to gather together his elect, or in other words, his people? Right, and why else is he coming for judgment? Why else is he coming? To render to each one according to his deeds. So he's coming to, so again, that's the reason I'm trying to teach you tonight that whenever you gather all of this data from these other scriptures, we can answer a lot of questions that may come up in this. Yes, this is Jesus. Why is he coming? He's coming to gather his people. He's coming, the harvest is ready, right? He's coming to gather His people. He's coming to render judgment. He's coming to render um, rewards to everyone for everything that they have done. Alright? And then, my, my only other question that I came, came up with here is, if it's Jesus, then why does He listen to the command of the angel? Because look what happens in verse 15. And another angel came out of the temple calling with a loud voice to Him who sat on the cloud. And here's what He said to him. Put in your sickle and reap, for the hour to reap has come, for the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. So if I were to ask you the question I suppose you were trying to teach me the Scripture, and you said, okay, this is Jesus, and here's why He's coming. And I said back to you, okay, if this is Jesus, then why is he being commanded by another angel? And why does he do it? What would you say to me? Can you think of any Scripture that would explain why he's having to be commanded on when the harvest is fully right and when it's time? Thank you. Let's find a Scripture to prove that. Look with me at Matthew chapter 24, verse 36. And actually, let's start in verse... Um, yeah, start in verse 36 is fine. He's been talking about the, the His coming and the end of days. But notice what He says about it in Matthew 24 verse 36. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. So here's what I would respond to you if you asked me that question. How can you say it's Jesus, Pastor, when He is taking commands from the angel? Because the angel comes out of the temple where the Father is. The Son is ready to go, but He don't know the time, does He? He don't know the hour. But the Father knows. And so what does the Father do? He sends His angel that's at His throne 24 hours a day, if there were such a thing as time. But he sends his angel beside of his throne out and he says, go tell my son to go get his people. It's time. And so that's what we have here. All right. Now, look with me again at uh, verse 15. And another angel came out of the temple, calling with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, Put in your sickle and reap, for the hour has come to reap for the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. So what we have here is the harvest of the earth. And first we have the harvest of the elect of God. Jesus is fixing to gather all that are His. And He paints a picture here of the um, sickle going across the harvest. And it is collecting the... Um, and actually, if you remember right, Jesus told a parable. That's a good place to go. Go with me to uh, Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13, and we're going to look at verse uh, 24, starting, or actually, let's start in verse um, 18. Matthew 13, starting in verse 18. Hear the parable of the sower. Am I in the right place? No, I'm not. 24, I'm sorry. Start in verse 24. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. And so we're going to finish it here in a minute, but think about the picture that he gives. The picture that he gives is of a man taking his sickle and he gathers it all. Now in the midst of this wheat, there are also weeds that are not... But what He's going to do with that is He's going to collect the harvest and He's going to separate it. And He's going to make sure that He pulls out the ones that are good wheat and He throws out and burns the ones that are not. Go with me to the same chapter, Matthew 13, but look at verse 36, because Jesus explains it. Then He left the crowds and went into the house and his disciples came to him saying explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field and he answered the one who sows the good seed is the son of man the field is the world and the good seed is i'm sorry the good seed is the sons of the kingdom the weeds are the sons of the evil one and the enemy who sowed them is the devil the harvest is the end of the age and the reapers are who all right Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send His angels and they will gather out of His kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of the Father. He who has ears, let him hear. So again, going back to Revelation chapter 14. The point is this. The vision that you're seeing lines up with everything that Jesus taught. There is going to come a time during the end of this seven years of tribulation to where the Father is going to send an angel out to the Son on the cloud saying, Go get your children. It's time. He goes and he takes his sickle across and he gets out the ones that belong to him. And then We're going to see what happens to the rest of them with another picture of grapes and a wine press. But let's just keep reading for just a minute. Um, In verse um, 16, he says, So he who sat on the cloud swung his sickle across the earth, and the earth was reaped. And this goes right in line with, um, if you want to look at um, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Sorry to make you flip so much tonight, but I, I think it's important for you to, to see that this is not just my interpretation. This is what the Bible teaches. So go with me to um, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. <clears throat> I want you to notice what he says here about Him actually comforting the people of God and taking out vengeance on the ones that are not His. In verse 6 he says, "...since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you, and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with His mighty angels, in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know good who do not know God, and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might, when He comes on that day to be glorified in His saints and to be marvelled at among all who have believed, because our testimony to you was believed so The point is this, I can take you to so many scriptures in the Bible that basically teach us that at the end of the age, Jesus is going to come with His angels. A harvest is going to be taken in. And the ones that belong to Him are going to be comforted and they are actually going to be rewarded. And the ones that belong to Satan, if you will, the ones that did not love God, did not believe the gospel, they are the ones that are going to suffer eternal punishment. What you see in the first vision here is the Lord Jesus coming, gathering in the wheat, if you will. What you're going to see in the next vision is the same process, except for the angels are coming, they're gathering in the ones that are not true wheat, and the picture He gives us here are pictures of treading out a wine press. So go with me to um, Revelation chapter 14, starting in verse 17. Then another angel came out of the temple in heaven, and he too had a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar, the angel who has authority over the fire. And he called with a loud voice to the one who had the sharp sickle, Put in your sickle and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth, for its grapes are ripe. And again, the point with stopping here is that when you read this word, right, again, it means it's past right. So God has been very long-suffering. And if you've been going through Revelation with me, you know God has been very long-suffering. God has gave opportunity after opportunity for people to repent of their sin, to turn to Him for salvation. He has preached the gospel from the sky from angels. I mean, I don't know what else God could do to actually make people believe. But He has been more than long-suffering in this process. And it is past time of harvesting. And now God says, okay, bring them in. And so, in um, again, what you have here in verse 17 is we have another angel. So we don't have here one like the Son of Man sitting on the cloud. This one is clearly identified. This is an angel that we're seeing here, right? And this angel has a sharp sickle. And this wouldn't make sense because Jesus said, He alone is not going to gather the harvest, but when He comes with His angels, and He actually told us in Matthew chapter 13 that He is going to send out His angels to gather in the harvest. And so all of this lines up with everything that Jesus taught about the harvest that is coming. And so he says here that this angel has a sharp sickle and then another angel comes out from the altar and this angel has authority over the fire, which do you remember what Jesus said was going to happen to the weeds that were gathered up? So again, all of this lines up. Scripture is interpreting Scripture and we understand here that what we're seeing is that this angel has authority over the fire. And he is now the angel that is going to take what's being gathered and he is going to, burn, to put it into the fire. And so um, notice, um, I'm getting back to, there, it is, there I am, back in verse 18. And another angel came out from the altar, the angel who has authority over the fire, and he called with a loud voice to the one who had the sharp sickle, Put in your sickle and gather the clusters from the vine, for its grapes are ripe. So the angel swung his sickle across the earth and he gathered the great harvest of the earth and he threw it into the great wine press of what? The wrath of God. So here we see that the only thing that's happened is he switched images. The first image was the same image that Jesus gave us of the wheat and the tares. And this is the wheat. The second image he switches to one that anybody that has ever studied the Old Testament would know this image. Let me give you just one example of it. Go with me to the book of Isaiah chapter 63. Isaiah chapter 63. We'll read verse 1 through 6. And this is where God is speaking to to, uh, Isaiah and especially to the tribes of Judah and Benjamin about the day of vengeance, about the coming day of the Lord. He says, Who is this who comes from Edom, in crimson garments from Basra, who is splendid in His apparel, marching in the greatness of His strength? It is I speaking in righteousness, mighty to save. Why is your apparel red, and your garments like his who treads in the winepress? And here's his answer. I have trodden the winepress alone, and from the peoples no one was with me. I trod them in my anger and trampled them in my wrath. Their lifeblood spattered on my garments and stained all my apparel, for the day of vengeance was in my heart and my year of redemption had come. I looked, but there was no one to help. I was appalled, but there was no one to uphold. So my own arm brought me salvation, and my wrath upheld me. I trampled down the peoples in my anger. I made them drunk in my wrath, and I poured out their lifeblood on the earth." Now that's just one of several examples in the Scripture. But the point being is when when God would show people an image of what His wrath was going to look like, He used this image of people making wine and them throwing the grapes into the wine press. And what happens when they stomp them? What happens to the grapes? Pop. The juice comes out. And so here we have this picture of God coming and his garments are all stained like he's been in a wine press. And they ask him, why are your garments like this? And he says, Oh, let me tell you, I've been trodden down my enemies in the wine press. And this is the stain of their blood on my garments. And so when you go back to Revelation chapter 14, basically all that happens here is that Jesus swaps images. The first image He gave John was the image of Him coming on the cloud, reaping the wheat from the tares. The second image is now He comes and He is reaping the grapes and He is going to throw them into the wine press, and He's going to trample them down. And so we have this image of God's justice being poured out right here. And basically what you have is Matthew chapter thirteen, what we read earlier, being fulfilled, he separates the wheat from the tares, and he harvests on both, and they both are going to get what they what they deserve. Now, my question is the actually let me finish it, uh, verse nineteen. So the angel swung his sickle across the earth and gathered the great harvest of the earth and threw it into the great wine press of the wrath of God, and the wine press was trodden. Outside the city, and that's a whole nother lesson, but basically it is outside the gates the same way they took Jesus outside the gates of the city to shed His blood. But outside the city it was trodden, and blood flowed from the winepress as high as a horse's bridle for 1600 stadia. And again, this is an image that He gives us here to understand that basically the wrath of God and the vengeance of God is going to come on mankind in such a way, or specifically His enemies, in such a way that the slaughter is going to be tremendous. Tremendous. And this is probably what we're looking at after the battle of Armageddon, which we'll get into, I think, in chapter 17, I believe is where we get into that one at. But this is where all of His enemies have gathered together under the Antichrist and they tr- gather to fight against Jesus, but the fight doesn't last long. Um, Jesus tramples us out pretty quick. So my question is this. What do we do with this? I mean, we have this vision tonight that Jesus is going to come back and He is going to reap the harvest of the earth. He is going to take out the ones that belong to Him, and He's going to reward them and comfort them and bring them to reign with Him. And then He is going to take out the ones that are enemies of His and throw them into the wine press and trample them. And then after they're trampled and their blood has been shed, He takes their souls and He throws them into eternity of suffering. So what do we do with this? Well, here's again where we use Scripture to answer that question. Since Jesus taught on this, wouldn't it be interesting to go back and see what Jesus said you ought to do with this teaching? So let's do that. Let's go to a few places to see. Go back with me to Matthew 24. And let's see what Jesus would tell you to do with this teaching. Matthew 24 and we will start in verse 36 <clears throat> But concerning that day and hour no one knows not even the angels of heaven nor the son but the father only for as were the days of Noah so will be the coming of the son as the son of man for as in those days before the flood They were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying, they were giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. So what's Jesus trying to say here? Huh? Be prepared. It's going to be, what are the days going to be like? Normal everyday life. They're going to be married. They're going to be given in marriage. They're going to be building. They're going to be planting. They're going to be eating. They're going to be drinking until the day comes when the flood came and it swept them all away. And the point being, you said it already, they weren't ready. Alright, but let's keep going. In verse 39, or I'm sorry, verse 40, then two men will be in the field. One will be taken, one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the meal, One will be taken, one will be left. Therefore, what's the first thing that you do with this teaching? Stay awake. What does it mean to stay awake? Huh? Be watching. You know, um, anybody else will live in the country to where you can't... Can you get internet where you're at? You, you don't live in the country. Anybody live in the country? You can't get internet where you're at. I've been signed up for. Uh, oh, Elon Musk is getting me internet here soon. I've been signed up since last February of 2021, waiting on internet Starlink. Do you know how many days I have? Mi- and let me tell you this: They send you the email, and there are so many people that are trying to get this that if you, they'll give you seven days to respond to your email. And if you don't respond to it in seven days, they send your deposit back and basically they move on to somebody else and you're off the waiting list. How many days since February of 2021 do you think I have missed looking for that email? I've not missed a day. Every day, the first thing I do usually is pick up my phone, go to my email... And search at the top Starlink just to see what comes up, because I do not want to miss that email. I want internet that bad, and I know that sounds crazy. Maybe not. Maybe don't sound crazy. All right, to some of you, but uh, I mean, we we need the internet. We use it for everything, and so I watch for Starlink emails like I'm watching for the Lord Jesus to come back again. All right, but. But I thought about that several times when I've done that. I thought to myself, "You are actually watching for Starlink more than you're really looking for the Lord Jesus to come back." That's the truth, and so, but it but it made me think about it. It made me think that. That's right. That's exactly right. But you know, here's here's the thing that I'm trying to get to: Is it wrong for me to to look for a Starlink email every day? I don't think it is. But should I not be anticipating Jesus' promise that He is going to come again and this is going to... Should I not... To me, that's what Jesus means when He says stay awake. Stay awake. Every day we ought to be looking and understanding. Today really could be the day. Y'all go, uh, well, I'm not going to do that. Let's keep reading. Matthew 24... Now, go in verse 42, Therefore stay awake, for you do not know on what day our Lord is coming. But know this, if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So, I pick out several things from this, but the two main things is this. Stay awake, be ready. Stay awake, be ready. Now, how can you do that? What are some things that you need to be doing in your life to make sure that you're staying awake and that you are ready for His coming? Okay, and what's that going to do for you? I mean, let's say that there, when, when, when Jesus comes back, the Bible tells us that there are going to be many that say to Him in that day, Lord, Lord, did we not preach in Your name? Did we not raise the dead in Your name? Did we not heal the sick in Your name? Did we not do many glorious things in Your name? And He says to them, what? I never knew you. Okay, there you go. So, it's not just about people who pray, and it's not just about people who study the Word, right? It's about people who pray for what reason? Huh? Okay, repentance, that's right. They recognize the sin in their life, so confession and repentance. All right, what else? Relationship with Him, that's right. I would say praying for strength to to be ready. Um, And then when I'm studying the Scriptures, I am um, um, preparing for holiness. I'm actually trying to become more like Him day after day. And I believe that those are things that definitely is to me what it means to stay awake and to be ready. It's not that I'm trying to work for my salvation. It's that I am trusting that He is making me more like Him And He's bringing me into a place to reign with Him in holiness where no sin is going to be. And because of that, I am preparing myself for that. Right? Let me ask you this. Do you remember um, how many of you in here have ever been married? Brides. Let me take the men out of here. Brides. On your wedding day, did you just get up and go... And then go walking down the aisle. What did you do to get ready for that wedding day? Huh? How did you prepare? What you do? did? You take a bath? Don't you say a word? <laughs> they don't. So leave it at that. Right. <laughs> hey, my man woke up and left me laying there. I, I was late. I was late for my own wedding, okay? But <clears throat> I mean, I seriously, back to my point. Yeah, I didn't have time, baby. I was trying to get to you. <laughs> I didn't have time. Right. But I mean, y'all know what I'm saying. What does the bride do? I mean, how long does it take you to find the dress? Uh, for most people, um, your hair. What do you do with your hair? Usually, you're finding somebody to help you fix it. To um, I mean, uh, you have prepared and you have adorned yourself to be ready for that day, right? And so that's one of the things that I see here is that if we are truly looking for Him, then we should be preparing ourselves. to to be in a likeness that He's going to be pleased with. Because as a bride, do you not want your husband to look at you and go, wow, look at what God has given me to spend the rest of my life with. And in the same manner, we use that analogy to understand that we are preparing ourselves not because the prettier we make ourselves is how we get there. But instead, we want to be prepared to see Him and to see Him in such a way that He's pleased with what He sees. And so we are to stay awake and we are to be ready. Keep going with me in um, verse um, 45. Who then is that faithful and wise servant? So who is this person that's staying awake and being ready? Well, he is a faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. In other words, his master finds him serving. That's the one that's ready. He's serving his master. He's feeding his master's people, right? Listen, when Jesus comes, I want him to see me feeding his people, I want Him to see Sunday school teachers that are, that are raising up disciples. I, don't, I want Him to find prayer warriors. I want Him to find people that are growing in holiness. I don't want Him to just find people that just go to church. <laughs> what does that mean? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. So in verse 47, He says, Truly I say to you, He will set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, My master is delayed. In other words, he's not staying awake, right? He's not being ready. And he begins to beat the servants. So this is as opposed to what was the wise and faithful servant doing? Feeding the servants. This guy begins to beat the servants. And then he says, and he eats and he drinks with drunkards The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect and in an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then go with me to Matthew 25. We're not going to read it, but you know the story very well, the parable of the talents. And, And again, all of these parables, all of these examples are how you stay awake and how you're ready when He comes. And so he gives another example of the parable of the talents. You remember the parable. He gives one servant ten talents. He gives another servant five talents. He gives another servant one. The one that he gave ten, what did that guy do with those ten? He used it. He used it for, for the Master's glory and for, for growing the Master's kingdom. And when the Master came back, he had more to give him. And he rewarded that servant. The one that had five did the same thing. The one that had won, what he do? He didn't use what God had entrusted him with. He didn't do anything with it. And we could relate this today with he didn't preach the Word. She didn't teach a Sunday school class. She didn't spend any time in prayer. She didn't try to grow in holiness. Or he didn't try to grow in holiness. All of these things we see are gifts and abilities that God has given us. We didn't do any of that and instead, we hid it in the ground. And if you finish reading that story, you'll find out that when the Master come back, what did He do to him? The same thing He did to that wicked servant. Same thing He did to that wicked servant. And we could go on and on and on. But I, here's, here's the thing that I think that we do with this. Jesus is coming back. And He is going to harvest the earth. And He is going to render to each one according to His deeds. And He says to each and every one of us, here's why you need to hear that lesson. Here's why you need to hear about the wrath of God and the amount of blood and the the suffering and the burning. And here's why you need to hear about the comfort of the Son of Man and the reigning with Him and the rewards that He gives. Because you have an opportunity right now to stay awake and to be ready. You have an opportunity to make sure that you are preparing yourself to meet Him when He comes. you remember the parable of the ten virgins? Five of them were wise and five of them were foolish. The five wise, they were all waiting on the bridegroom to come, right? They were all supposed to be getting ready. The five wise ones were watching for Him. They were getting ready. And they had oil for their lamps and... And the old Jewish tradition would be that the bridegroom would come at midnight at an hour they did not expect and he would come marching down the road and he would cry out for his bride to come. And the bride with all of her bridal party would come out with their lamps trimmed at midnight and they would meet him on the street And then that bridegroom would carry them down to the father's house because he has been gone and he's been preparing a place onto his father's house for him and his bride. That's the reason why Jesus said, I have gone to do what? To prepare a place for you. And in my father's house are what? Many rooms, many mansions. In other words, Jesus is using this analogy of a Jewish wedding that the groom goes during the betrothal period and he prepares a place on the father's house. And then at a time when the bride does not expect it, the groom comes at midnight and he cries out at midnight, Here comes the bridegroom! And at that moment, the, the bride and all of her party would hear it and they would rise up and they would trim their lamps and they would get their oil and they would run out to the street to meet him and they would march down to his father's house to where the wedding ceremony would take place and the bridal supper, the marriage supper would take place as well and the celebration. But the five wise, they were ready when the bridegroom called. But do you remember what the five foolish did? They didn't have no oil. They'd done wasted it all. They hadn't been watching. They hadn't been waiting. They were not staying awake. and they were, they were sleeping. They were slumbering. They were not growing in holiness. They were not preparing themselves. And when the bridegroom called, they said to the wise ones, give us some of your oil. And the wise ones said, we can't. We don't have enough for both you and I. Go to the cellars and get oil for yourself and come back. But while they were gone to buy oil, what happened? the bridegroom had already come and they had already went into the party and those foolish people went up to the door knocking on the door and said hey we're here for the party i'm sorry it's too late because you were not awake you were not preparing yourselves you were not ready when the call came so that's what you do with it tonight you stay awake the same way i'm looking for that starlink message every day <laughs> We all need to be looking to understand that yes, has it been two thousand years? Yeah. But do you remember what Peter? Last scripture, and we'll dismiss at this. Second Peter chapter three. Go there. Second Peter chapter three. This is it. Starting in verse 8. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, But He is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies of the stars, the planets, will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Notice what he says next in verse 11. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, Has it been 2,000 years? Yeah, it has. But to God? Two days. But you better understand one thing. He's not slow concerning His promise. But He's patient. And He's waiting for this thing to become overripe. (laughs) The harvest is going to be overripe. And when that time comes, we don't know the day, we don't know the hour, but He will say to His Son and to His angels, Go and reap the harvest and it is going to be reaped. And we have to be awake and we have to be ready. We have to be living in lives of holiness and righteousness and preparing ourselves for the coming of that day. And if we're not, we're going to be foolish and we're going to be the tares and we're going to be trod down in the winepress of God's wrath and we're going to be burned up as the, the tares were burned up in the fire but the choice is up to us on how we live our lives. Any questions tonight? Would you say we've come to the right interpretation of Revelation chapter 14? And we can say it through all of Scripture, right? So that's how you interpret Scripture. That's just one example of it. Uh, I won't be here next week. We will um, probably have uh, maybe Mr. Chris Rochelle teaching next week. I'll see if he's... um, If he's ready for this and then I will be back the week after that. So we'll see where he gets to and we'll pick up again after that. All right, let's go Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you tonight for your word. And we thank you so much, God, that um, you are not slow concerning your promise. God, I thank you that you're patient. God, I thank you that you are long suffering. God, I thank you that you are waiting until the harvest is past rightness. Father, I thank You that You're not willing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And Father, I pray, God, that You would help us to, to have the strength to stay awake. Father, I pray, God, that we would be ready. We would be preparing ourselves, Father. Lord, I pray that we would be wise and faithful servants using the talents that You've given us to, to grow Your kingdom in any way that we can, even if we've only got one. Father, You said He ordered at least just invested it with bankers or did something with it. Father, Lord, I just pray, God, today that You would help us to be faithful with anything You've given us to be growing Your kingdom in any way that You would see fit. Father, I just pray that, um, Lord, that this lesson would not um, go in vain. Father, I pray that You would cause it to accomplish the purpose that You've sent it out for. Father, I pray that You would help us to truly know what it means to be watching and waiting. Father, to be ready. Father, I pray, God, that You would help us to understand that Probably for the most part, Lord, we're so far away from that, it's not funny at all. Father, I pray You would forgive us of that, that tonight would be the night that, Lord, that You would open our eyes and that, Lord, we would be preparing our hearts to be ready, to be watching and waiting, to be wise and faithful servants of Yours. God, we love You. We thank You again for Your forgiveness, for Your mercy that comes through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And it's in His precious name we pray. Amen.